Rambam for Sunday, Hey of Tavshampei, Perak Hamishi, Miyasaydeh Teira, the fifth Perak Miyasaydeh Teira. And Psalad uh, Shmaya, we finished the first four Prakam of Rambam, of Yasaydeh Teira. We finished the first five mitzvahs. <clears throat> and now we're continuing to a more halachic discussion, starting off with the material from Gemara Sanhedrin. But still, these are fundamental mitzvahs. And this is uh, regarding mitzvahs number six and seven, Kiddush Hashem. Chil Hashem, sanctifying God's name versus defiling God's name, desecrating God's name, uh, which is also pretty connected to the basic connection between uh, a person, a Yid, and his creator. And uh, like we said, this is already a halachic discussion, and it's going to be the usual halachic style of what do you do in this case, what do you do in that case, etc. Halacha Aleph. All the house of Israel, every Jew, is commanded to sanctify this great name. Like it says, I will be uh, sanctified among the Jews. And they are uh, cautioned, they're warned uh, from desecrating it. Like it says, do not desecrate my name. No, Yisrael, just to comment, uh, Yisrael is an interesting term to use to refer to Yidin. It's rare even in the Rambam, a little more common in the Psukim, actually a little more common maybe than you'd think, uh, familiar from Davening. And uh, the Achreinim seem to have some diukim on this term, Yisrael. Uh, regarding the term Hashem Hagadol, the big name, I just want to comment on the language that uh, the word Hashem, when we say the word Hashem, sometimes it's just a stand-in for Hashem's actual name. Meaning, instead of calling Hashem by his actual name, or, or reading the actual name from the Pasuk, uh, or the Sefer that we're reading, so, as a stand-in, we say the word Hashem. So, in that case, the word Hashem seemingly doesn't have any actual inter- in, in, intrinsic meaning. It's like using a, a nickname, it's like using initials. There's nothing to the what you're saying itself. It's just standing up for something else. Sometimes, though, the word Hashem could mean, actually, the name. And when it comes to the terms Kiddush Hashem, Hashem, it seems clear that we're not just saying that we're sanctifying God and, and desecrating God. We're sanctifying God's name and we're desecrating God's name. So Hashem HaGadol in the Rambam is his great name. And of course, uh, as we're about to explain, when we say sanctify and, des- and, and desecrate, we're talking about giving up one's actual life for God's name. And to give it a bit of a logical framework, uh, Back then, it was probably a much more common concept that someone wants to uh, sanctify or give himself a good name. And a person will give his life up for the sake of his good name. Or you have the opposite, someone who desecrated his own name. And we're taking this concept and we're expanding it to refer it also to Hashem. And we could say, you can forget about your own reputation, forget about your own name. It's a concept that with your behavior, you have to pay attention to the fact that you are either sanctifying or desecrating God's name. Practically, the is going to divide it into four categories, four scenarios. It's going to be the general difference between regular mitzvahs, giving up your life for regular mitzvahs, versus giving your life up for the three severe ones. And then in addition, besides normal situations, those are going to be two unique situations. A case where someone's trying to make you do something, do an Avera in front of ten people, or the concept of Shasa Shmad, where there's a systematic government decree. We're going to learn each four, each of the four, one by one. Let's continue. Ketzat. How how do you sanctify and desecrate? So how does this work? If a guy gets up and he forces a year to desecrate, to commit one of the Averis in the Torah. 
Ariyavi threatens to kill him. So the din is Yavar Baal Yahar. So here actually this is not Kiddush Hashem. Here you should actually listen and don't get killed. It says in the mitzvahs that you have to do them and live so the mitzvahs shouldn't lead to your death. And if the person allows himself to be killed and he doesn't, uh, he doesn't want to desecrate the mitzvah, he actually is uh, responsible for his own life. So just to comment uh, the word goy, I would assume that that's just the usual reality, but if Kas Vashalom was somehow a Yid, then would be the same. And the term is Chayab Enapsh, someone who died and is responsible for his life, so that's usually actually a term that has more of a spiritual connotation. Because here, uh, here the guy, you're saying Mishayab Enapsh, he's responsible for his life while he's dying. It's like uh, almost reminiscent like uh, giving the, the death penalty to someone who committed suicide. He's dead. So means Baruchnes, El Mahaba, etc. So the point here, out of Halach Alf, what we learned is that actually if you even very important mitzvahs like Shabbos, Kashrus, your beard, whatever you whatever you can think of, it's uh, it's actually prohibited to give up your life if the guy just uh, goes nuts and, and just wants you to do something for his own benefit, as we're gonna see. What are we talking about this whole time? All the other mitzvahs except for the big three, idolatry, uh, arias, and, and murder. Uh, but these three, if he says, do one of these, we will be killed, then the opposite. You have to allow yourself to die and not transgress. And... Uh, so this is, uh, like we said, this is like the concept of sanctifying your own name. There's certain very, very horrible things that you wouldn't want to have associated with your name, right? I mean, everyone has the most extreme, you know, what if uh, the pain of death, you have to be, uh, be a mass murderer. You don't want to be remembered uh, forever as a mass murderer. So at some point you say, you know what, I'd rather die than uh, my reputation will be forever stained as having done this horrible thing. So here Hashem draws the line of what, uh, in terms of his name, what he wants uh, sticking to his name and what he doesn't. And Avedizar is something that uh, is obvious. It, it, it relates to the very connection of a person with God. Murder is also a very, very, uh, very severe thing. It's someone else's life. And uh, Arias, uh, illicit, uh, illicit uh, relationships, so uh, also considered very severe. And like we'll see later in Lachazayin, it's compared to murder. So uh, it's the kind of thing where after after doing that kind of thing, you don't remain with your reputation intact. And here we're talking about Hashem, reputation in terms of Hashem. So you can't uh, you can't do it. So now we go on to the third category, which is a distinction between a normal situation until now and a more unique situation. So he says, So when are we saying this? When the guy is intending for his own benefit, meaning why did he tell you to do that? Very, I need a house built. I need it built right now. I don't care. Build my house for me on Shabbos, or cook my food for me, or on us meaning he's he's forcing a woman to be raped by him. Uh, so it's for his, he doesn't care about her, he just cares about himself. Um, so in all these cases, you're not actually the uh, the point. You got, the, unfortunately, you got sort of mixed into a story that has nothing to do with you. But 
if the story is about you, if he wants you to do this Avera, if he wants to, the whole motive here is that he wants him to do something prohibited. So if he's alone and there aren't 10 people there, then you can still do it. But if there's 10 people there, then he can't do it anymore. And even if it's just a regular mitzvah, here it changes. It doesn't have to be only the three big ones. Any mitzvah, the point is that you should do the Avera and there's 10 witnesses, 10 Jews, then it's a special din. So even though it's a small mitzvah, a small Avera, but apparently the way we can explain it is, is once the guy defined it as a, as a, it's like an act that's clearly against God. So if you're alone, maybe you can say, look, who cares what he's thinking? What I'm doing isn't so, uh, so major. Or it's part of a crowd and the guy is defining the significance of your act. So even if technically it's not, uh, it shouldn't be such a big deal, but the way it's presented, the PR that he did, he advertised, uh, Yankel's about to do an act against God. <clears throat> and then you go ahead and do it. So he sort of defined in advance what the significance of what you're doing is. So it's like you uh, directly uh, are staining uh, God's name. Now we continue to the fourth category, Shas Hashmad, an official systematic decree. Allah Gimel Bechod, one of my Elisha Lebe Shas Hashmad. So all of this is when it's not a shmad, when it's not a systematic decree, but it's a shmad. For example, you have a wicked king like Buchanetzar and his friends, and his uh, the one the other people like him, and they decree a shmad on Jews that they have to drop the whole Judaism or a specific mitzvah. So then you have to allow yourself to be killed for any mitzvah, even if it's not in front of 10 people. So Nebuchadnezzar seems to be a bit of an interesting example. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, you could say, maybe he's famous for being very wicked, but what's Nebuchadnezzar's special connection to Shmad? The one example is the story where you want people to bow down to the statue. And that could be a discussion, you know, is that is that story like a perfect example of Shmad? Um Whatever the case is, in that story, Hanani Mishal and Azariah, who ended up giving up their lives, as Sefer Daniel tells us, they're always cited in Chazal as like a classic example of Kedush Hashem. They'll actually be mentioned by name in Halakha Dalet. And just to point out, you said Shema doesn't have to be against the whole religion. It could be Dasa or Mitzvah or Mitzvah. So, in theory, the Shemad could be against you can't plow with two animals together, uh, two different animals. That could be the whole Shemad, and that would be considered Shemad, and you'd have to, uh, or, even, or even smaller than that, that I'm not mentioned explicitly, but the other idea of maybe even things that are Menhagim, uh, the shoelaces, that's a whole topic. Um, and uh, but I'm saying that it doesn't matter whether you're in front of them people or not, so apparently... Again, we said last time, you know, by, by doing it in public, the guy gives significance to the act. So when it's an official shmad, so then it's already been established for the whole country. Everyone knows the significance of, of a year doing this is he's playing into the plan to, to for the Jew to sever his ties with God. That's how the that's how the government announced it. So uh, even the smallest act, even in private. The government is able to define the act and, and define it as something directly against God. And now he's going to sort of summarize for the cases where you're supposed to do the Aver or the cases where you're supposed to die. So what happens if you did the Aver? What happens if you died? How do we judge you? Because 
of course, no matter what you're going to do, we're always going to be very judgy. The question is, what and how? So let's go into Allah Dalad. So this is actually a bit of repetition, for whatever reason. He says, whoever was supposed to do the Avera and instead allow himself to be killed, then he's uh, responsible for his for his life. And uh, it's actually, I may have mentioned already, it's not so simple. Of course, there are plenty of examples from early history, from late history, of people who were willing to give up their lives, for smaller things, even when there wasn't, no one was trying to, there wasn't a point necessarily, no one was trying to make them do an Avera. So we're not getting into, we're just going with Rambam here. And Rambam doesn't spell out the opposite of what happens if you're supposed to transgress and you actually transgress. Apparently there's nothing much to say, except, uh, yeah, Nabach, sorry about that. Sorry you had to do that. But um, Rambam now speaks about the uh, case of where you're supposed to be killed on both sides. If you did this or you did that, Homish and Amorboy. And if you're supposed to die, and you talk and die, and you didn't uh, transgress, so that is Kiddush Hashem. That's already sanctifying God's name in public. That's like the cases of the Nechanai Mishal and Azariah, and like the case of Rebekiva and his colleagues. And these are those who were killed by the kingdom. There's no one greater than them. Doesn't tell them we were, for you. We were killed all day or every day. We were considered like sheep to the slaughter. For these people, it says, "Gather my my pious men, those who cut a covenant with me over a sacrifice, and presumably them being the sacrifice themselves." So Daniel, uh, what's the third Daniel? So he says Daniel Chanan Mishal but Daniel is actually not mentioned in the story of Chanan Mishal There's a different story later with Daniel and Daryavish, the next kingdom, where. About praying, not praying to God, praying to the king, and they throw him into the lion's den. So presumably that must, if he's being included, referring actually to that different story. And Rabbi Kiva, so we know the story, Rabbi Kiva was killed for teaching Tyre when there was a Shas Hashemad against teaching Tyre. And uh, his colleagues, presumably, are the Asar HaRagamachos, 10 that we lionized, the 10 Chacham were killed. Uh, at the time when the, the Roman king was very ruthless and was just uh, killing many Chacham. And it's possible that uh, the Ram's intention here isn't just to bring uh, historical examples. Maybe it sort of seems to be the message to the person who was killed that, oh, you were Zaycha, you have the merit to sanctify God's name in public. And this is not just uh, any uh, kind of, you know, it's not, not, not just, uh, okay, you did a certain thing. No, you're entering the. The rose of the our heroes, you're joining the pantheon of Nehemiah and Azariah and Rebekiva. And he continues, these are the people, there's literally no one greater than them. Now, the words Ve'eluheim, when it says these are Rugemalchus, it's not clear to me clearly, 100%, if uh, it's referring back to just Rebekiva and uh, his friends, that I'm just quoting from the Gemara what it said about them, that they're the famous Rugemalchus. Or this is going back to a general statement, and any person who acts like them also joins the ranks of the Harugim Alchus. And there's a Sicha that we'll mention later if we have time that uh, there's a footnote that gets into this. Uh, also, just interesting to think about whether uh, Rabbi Kiva or all of the Harugim Alchus were they indeed killed in front of uh, 10 people? Because this is the context here is Yermakadosh Hashem Barnabin. So, were you killed in 10 people? Does where they kill from ten? I mean, Rebekah mentions that his Talmudim seem to be there, but the other ones. On the other hand, also there may be a discussion about whether 
10 have to be there or 10 find out about it. Of course, you know, everyone we, we heard of, certainly uh, it's hundreds and thousands of millions are already aware of different stories that are out there. Um, you know, so let's say you, uh, let's say you said no to the guy in front of 10 people, maybe you were killed later in, you know, somewhere else where there weren't 10 Jews actually witness. So we're not getting into, we're just, just pointing out the possible discussions, the Svarim have discussions and every tiny detail of all the cases in this parak, the very, very hotly discussed parak. And, uh, also the term of Regimalchus, if it's referring to, not just for Bikiv and his friends, but it is referring to everyone uh, in this category. So that's an interesting term to use because in this, when you just said Kiddush Hashem, Kiddush Hashem Barabim, it doesn't uh, always have to be the kingdom. It's not that only the kingdom killing. It could be the guy uh, who uh, who wanted to uh, force you to do an aver in front of 10 people. Shmad is from Alphos. Like I said, there's a sicha that talks about a lot of these details I don't know if every detail, but there's a sikha that definitely gets into a lot of discussion, a lot of details in the, in the Pnim and the Aras about this part of Halacha Dalad. Alright, to continue, and someone who, again, was supposed to allow himself to be killed, but he didn't, he did the Aver instead, that is the classic case of someone who desecrated God's name. If it was 10 people uh, present, that means he desecrated God's name in public, and he, he did not do the mitzvah, he didn't do the mitzvah of sanctifying, and he transgressed the prohibition of, of desecrating. So here's an example, which you find often in Malacha, where with one act, you're transgressing both positive and negative. Now that Adam continues to interesting halacha, Alpha became a Pnesh because ultimately though, because he was uh, under duress, because he was coerced, in Malkanis we don't give him uh, Malkus, we don't whip him, and we certainly don't give a more severe punishment of death. Even if what he did under coercion was murder, we don't uh, give any punishment. Why? Because we only give Malkus or death penalty to someone who does something willingly with witnesses, with a warning, and not if something is lacking there. Says, how do we know this? It says, regarding someone who hands his children over to the, the uh, idol of Melech, it says that when uh, Satya is Pane I'm gonna, Hashem says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I'm going to focus on him. I'm going to take to this guy. Meaning it's a uh, punishment from Shemaim, Karis. So, the, the Chazal, or however you define the Shmuel, but it's like a Drasha, that's uh, sort of handed down. The Drasha of how you read this Pasuk is, So, this man, which man? The man who did it the normal way, not the man who did it under duress, not the man who did it by accident, not the man who did it because he didn't uh, understand what he was doing. And I'm continuous. So now that we establish this with Moilach, so now we can expand this to everything. So if it's a Vedizara, which we're assuming for the purpose, seem, seem to be assuming that Moilach here is counted as a Vedizara, which is the most severe, we see from this Joshua that if you do it under uh, coercion, you don't get Karis from Hashem. So for sure, you don't uh, 
right? Even if you don't get Misa, you get Karas. If you don't get Karas, so you're for sure not getting punished by base then. So how much more so for every other mitzvah that from here we can derive that you never get punished if it wasn't done 100% willingly and knowingly. And the Ramam adds another point to Baraiyas Oemer and regarding Baraiyas it says about a girl who was, uh, who was raped, who was coerced. If you punish the guy, again, you see this idea, you don't punish the person who was coerced. Now, when the Ram says that it has to be willingly and with witnesses and with warning, uh, the question here is, is there like a some kind of lumdish idea here that like the act isn't a full proper act? Or is it just like a zera from the Torah? Like, can we say that like the warning wasn't a proper warning? Although we listed willingly and warning separately. So maybe there is a warning here, it just wasn't willingly. And and further ultimately on, on, on some level he did have a choice and he did have free choice and he chose something obviously the choices were very unpleasant but the guy stood and waited to see what, you're, what you'll choose and then you willingly, consciously you made a calculation and you decided what you prefer but whatever the case is whatever the explanation is uh, what, what we're seeing here is that the the act itself doesn't seem to have significance. Let's say desire. The desire itself, it wasn't such an act of a desire. We're not punishing you uh, as a, a desire worshiper. The problem here is that it was superseded by Chil Hashem, that even though the act itself loses its significance, but the, the concept of the reputation, the, the sanctifying, the desecrating of God's name, makes it worse in the sense that you have to actually give up your life, even though you wouldn't be held responsible if you actually did it. And there's no... And apparently there's no punishment for Chil Hashem itself either. So you're not getting punished at all, neither for the Vedazar or for the Chil Hashem, but Chil Hashem is a very severe thing and you ought to have given up your life. Now the thing at the end, he adds about Darius, that with the girl, that uh, we, don't, uh, we don't do anything to her. It's uh, interesting to ask well, what the Ramam's adding here. Is this part of the foundation that we laid before? Is there an additional Kav Chaymer here? Like, just like from a Vedazar we learned everything else, from Arias we learned everything else. Where did, what is this Arias case adding. Also, one could point out that uh, there, it seems to be a, a different kind of coercion, a coercion without a choice, right? It's possible to without that kind of thing. You can do something to someone without asking them and without giving them a choice, and not the person chose a certain choice under duress. So, is this really the same thing? So, just raising some points for thought. Now, the halacha here ends for me, but there are some gersayas that add a line that say that's when do we say that it's all under duress and coercion? And so in the sense of like, really, you should give up your life. But if you didn't give up your life, at least we, we treat it like not a real uh, bearer itself of a Zara. That's only if it's temporary. If it's uh, on the spot, we're put on the spot. But someone who's in a kingdom with a shmat and the, the decree is not going away and the guy just feels uh, comfortable, doesn't want to leave, doesn't want to escape the situation, then at some point it crosses from coercion into maze because you're choosing to stay there. And that really touches on a whole discussion that had begun already at that point in history about Shmad and people who were Anusim. They weren't Meister Nefesh. And there's a famous letter from the, the Ramam Nigaris from the about this, etc. Just to mention all that. Um, also, we're going to the Kavachim of the Rambam from Avedi Zaretz Automatis. I just should point out this is not something that everyone agrees to at all. And there's some reason I'm saying that no. Maybe a Vedazara is different, or only in a certain case of Vedazara, but generally, as a rule, if there are Adim and there's a warning, and even if there's a guy holding, holding a gun to your heads, you would be Chayv Misa. 
of course, we're not going to get into that. And now we're going to move on on to an interesting case of handing one person over for an Avera or for death in order to save others. So this is also fits into this framework of, in a case of coercion, should you allow yourself to be killed or not? That the Goyim said to them, hand over one of you so we can defile her. If not, we will defile all of you. They have to allow themselves all to be defiled and they cannot hand over a Jew. Now, this is an interesting thing. It's actually from Masechus Trumas of all places. It starts off there talking about a guy who demands one loaf of, of Truma. He wants to defile or he'll defile everything. And then the Mishnah says, oh, what about women? Um, now, this idea that you shouldn't hand over uh, a woman, one way of looking at it is uh, that it's like, similar to like every normal case of Shivichas Stamim or Gila Arias. You know, both of the cases, the Mishnah Rathod also speak about murder. So it's like any case of uh, being, you know, the demand that you should murder or commit a riot uh, or be killed, right? So if they would say, uh, if they hold the gun to your head and say that you should do the Aveira, that you should defile the woman, then uh, it's like anything else. So what's the difference if uh, if I'm doing it or I'm just handing it over to someone else to do it? On the other hand, the term Ayimsuru sounds a bit like the, the idea is a bit different. That something immoral that we're giving into their blackmail, we're giving into their game, and we're just treating a Jew like a pawn uh, according to whatever uh, crazy idea they come up with next. Or it's like, or maybe it's more like Masira, like a Meister, that it's just a horrible thing to like hand over a Jew to that they should do horrible things to. But what about the, but on the other hand, we mentioned Gilai Rai, so what about other things? Um, right, but the Meister, Generally, we've got a meister. Meister can include handing them over for a, a terrible jail sentence or other horrible punishments that aren't death. So, what if what if they demand that uh, someone be handed over for uh, horrible punishments uh, under, but not, but not actually saying they're going to kill him? And just raising some points for thought. So that was the case of we'll defile all of you if you don't allow us to defile her. Now we go on to murder. They say, the Goyim say, give us one to be should kill. If not, we'll kill all of you. They should all be killed. They should, uh, they should all be killed and they shouldn't hand over uh, a Jew. And if they, uh, they chose a specific person, they said, Give us so and so, we'll kill off you. So if he was deserving of death, like the case of Shem which we'll explain in a second, then they should hand them over to them. But even that, we don't tell them. Based on wouldn't tell you explicitly to do that, but it's something you could do. But if the guy is not particularly deserving of death for any special reason, you're good, cool, and they should all be killed. And again, they should allow those all to be killed. They can't, in good conscience, hand over a Jew for no reason. Uh, now, when he says that he's deserving of death, that itself raises the question, how do you define deserving of death? If the guy did something that, according to Tahira, isn't a major deal, but according to the local law, it's very severe, and one tries to be careful, and he was not careful, so is he deserving of death? On the other hand, uh, should we suffer? Because some guy just, you know, everyone's keeping this law, everyone's trying to keep in line, and this guy just goes and does some random thing that he knows will lead to death, and now we're all, we're all going to suffer? If I recall correctly, in Shokhanarchi, you have the idea that uh, if there's a guy involved in, in 
coin forgeries and, and possible that the government will uh, blame the entire Jewish community. So uh, you could hand them over. So that's an example where coin forgeries per se aren't uh, that severe, but uh, these deserving of death uh, and the whole Jewish community can suffer. So you do hand them over. So that's presumably part of this whole discussion. Shavimabichri, the case of Shavimabichri is a, it's a biblical story. And in, in short, it was the uh, middle of the adventures of David's life. There was a guy, Shavimabichri, he blew a shayfer and he announced, We have no portion of David, we don't want him. Everyone should go home. And after a few twists in the story, in the plot, finally, uh, David's men are coming and they, they make a siege around where he was. And a wise woman from the city uh, called out to Yoav, who was the general, and Yoav said, Khalila, I'm not trying to just destroy the city. It's not the case. There's a guy from Harafraim, Shem Mabichri. He started up with David. Give him to me alone, and I'll leave. So the woman said to Yoav, we're going to throw his head to you out of the wall. And she came to the people there with her wisdom, and they cut the head of Shem Mabichri, and they threw it to Yoav, and that was the end of the story. Everyone went home. So that's what we're using as the model for someone who's Mechoy of Misa. We don't suffer for that guy. We can get rid of that guy. It's interesting, though, I hear that they actually killed him themselves. On the other hand, he was Chay of Misa by the hands of the king, according to the Torah. So maybe in that case, it's more acceptable that we could even kill such a guy ourselves. Mashainkin, if it was just a Gaisha law, maybe not. On the other hand, then what's the proof? So, like we said, it's a discussion. Also, the whole this whole concept that you don't that it's allowed, but we don't say so. That's also interesting. A lot of interesting points here. Um, and uh, when you said at the end that if he's not Chayav Misa, then then again we should allow ourselves to be killed. Because um, again, what's the what's the difference here? If it's random, if they're just choosing a Jew at random, so what's the difference if they want us to choose a Jew at random, or they cho- to cho- to choose a Jew at random, or, or they chose a name at random. If there's no significance, there's no meaning, then again, you can't just hand someone over because they said so. Now we go over to a different kind of uh, sort of uh, coercion or duress, but it's different. It's not exactly the same thing, as we shall see. What we said about coercion, the same rule applies to sicknesses. Illnesses, Ketzat. How does this work? Misha Homanat Lamus, someone who's died, who's sick and he's, seems to be on the way to death. And the doctors say that in order to heal him, we need to do something that's prohibited in the Torah. Instantly, we do it for him. It's okay. And you can heal with anything prohibited in the Torah in the case when there's actual danger to life. Because even in those, with those, even if it's the danger, cannot be healed. Then I'm adding something interesting. But in this case, if you went ahead and did it anyway, then Basin does punish him the punishment that he deserves. So why do we do those Isurim other than those three? Because it's again, it's a case of mitzvahs versus life. And we said in Allah you're supposed to live. Whereas the three severe ones are clearly more important than living. And so it doesn't matter whether it's an Aynas or a Chayli, although we will see in Allah Zayin, he gives a, a Makar, we'll discuss it uh, over there. Now, really, in Tanya, in Perch of Dalad, there's actually something on this topic about the difference between different kinds. If, if every sin separates you from God, so then what is the difference? And if we have time, we'll mention it at the end. There's also uh, a total different note. There's an interesting question of if you're if you're eating food that you don't want to eat, uh, let's say it's not kosher, but it's uh, it's mutter because it's for fuah. Do you make a bracha on it or not? 
or in these other situations, and again, if we have time, we'll mention it at the end. And so he said, if at the end he says, in this case, if you went ahead and did it, then you do get punished. This is so it's clearly not exactly like regular INS. Here, it's like you did, like any other, any other guy who did not vary just because he wanted to. Because clearly we have to say that, but by definition, this is not really a case of INS. What's the definition of INS? INS, by definition, means that someone came and took away some of your agency, some of your ability to control how you run your life. Someone is, is taking that away from you. So whatever you end up doing, even if you listen, it's clearly not fully attributed to you. Even if they waited for you to make a choice, clearly we're, we're, we're accepting the premise here that that wasn't fully an act that you that we can attribute to you. Oh, so-and-so did such and such. Well, he didn't really do such and such. Someone held a gun to his head and he did such and such. Uh, but here you don't have that. No one's holding a gun to your head. It's true that it's the similarity in the sense that your life is on the line. But here you're in full control, even if your life is on the line. So it's different. How do we know that even if there's a danger to your life, you don't transgress these three severe mitzvahs? So now he seems to be a proof for each of the three. You should love Hashem with your whole heart and your whole life and everything that you have. So, loving Hashem with your life means sometimes you have to give up your life. And this is specifically for Avedah Zara, loving Hashem versus Avedah Zara. And the idea that um, you should uh, keep kill uh, a Jew in order to, to heal someone or to save someone else from a guy in trouble. This is something that uh, logic, it's just pure logic. You don't lose one person, one soul for another soul. And where do we know that the Arayas are so severe? Because Arayas is, cons- is compared to murder. So it's compared to what we'll explain in a second. So the, just before we get, the Ram is bringing Raya's all of a sudden. So the question is, is this also referring to what he said earlier about, you know, when a guy makes you do it? Or is this only, do we need this, these proofs only for uh, for sicknesses where it's regular, regular Sakana Stafashas? Um, where there isn't Kiddush Hashem and Chal Hashem. Meaning, if you have Kiddush Hashem and Chal Hashem, they supersede whatever you're doing, like we said earlier. So there, that's just a real Kedoshim. Kedoshim, Kedoshim has its own rules. Here, there's no Kedoshim, Kedoshim. It's the various themselves. So here, we need to bring proofs you know, for the various themselves. Okay. And when it comes to murder, we said it's something that the Shadas Noitelite, logical. So then the source in Psachim is the famous famous line, How do you know your blood's redder? Maybe his blood is redder. So the, the idea being that uh, who can choose, who can make these decisions? Uh, in the Ramam's language, though, it seems even stronger. Because there it sounds like maybe someone's life is more valuable, we just don't know. Here, the Ram just makes it sound like all lives are completely equal, so <laughs> there's no logic. You're never going to gain anything uh, by taking one soul for another soul. And the last point about Arias, he says it's compared to murder. What's it talking about over there? It's talking about, again, a woman who was, was raped. And, Punish this guy and not her. 
When you murder someone, technically there are two parties to the murder. There's the person murdering and the person being murdered. But do we consider the murdered person an accomplice to the murder because he was involved? No. So Pasuk is trying to say that you can have the same thing with rape. It's like an overwhelming uh, case of use of force where uh, it's like murdering the person. So you can't consider that person to be an accomplice. So that's what the Pasuk meant over there. But we seem to be taking it a little further to say that even in a case where uh, the woman would agree in theory. So it has a severity of murder. It's agreeing to do something like this would be like agreeing to be murdered. Just like you can't agree to be murdered, so you can't agree to be a party to uh, Gilead Ives. And now that explains that sometimes there are prohibitions that we permit even when there's no immediate danger to life. How does that work? When do we say that you can't be healed by anything unless it's the danger? When you're imbibing them uh, the way in the manner in which you normally enjoy them, like the idea that you're going to feed the, the person who's sick uh, bugs and stuff like that. That can only be done if there's real danger to life. But if it's not in the normal manner of pleasure, you make a retiro maluguma, there's two kinds of bandages um, made out of uh, this chametz in the bandage, or this arla in the bandage, in the first three years of the tree, or you're drinking something where there's something aser, or where there's something bitter mixed with something that's aser, but it's not, it's not pleasure, it's not pleasure, it's not the way you eat something, it's medicine, and it just happens to go through your mouth. He is no pleasure to your palate. So it is a mutter. So then it would be mutter. If there's no danger, the exception to that is in the vineyard. If you mix uh, the grapes and the wheat together in, in, in your vineyard, or you mix milk and meat, they're prohibited even not in the normal manner. So even if it's your bandage, and therefore you can't be helping them even in not in the normal way unless there's a danger and again so just to, what's a retia and malugma there are two different kinds of bandages retia is more like a normal bandage that we are familiar with some kind of cream so the, the isher is in the cream and the malugma is a kind of thing they had in those days where they would take uh, pieces of food different kinds of foods and chew them up and then they would apply that to the wounds and that was uh, considered to be healing so that would be the malugma um, why are Kiliak Karim Masa Bechalab different? Uh, the Psukim the implies somehow that um, it's not the eating, it's just the, any kind of pleasure. So, uh, but usually in everything else, it's implied that only if you're enjoying it the normal way, which by food is by eating it through your mouth and not in a bandage. So there's no Isra Bechalab. In a normal case, the reason why it's mutter is it's simply not an issue. There's no, no problem with putting uh, chametz on your on your arm. Except in the, these unusual halachas where you would have any... It's nothing to do with how you enjoy it. You can put it on your arm. Um, in that case, if it's, uh, if, it's, if it's not if it's not usser altogether, that's why you're allowed to do it. Uh, even no danger. If it is usser, so then you have to go back to the regular rule. If there's a sakana, then you can transgress a regular uh, isura. And now he brings an exception. Uh, even though it doesn't seem like such a, such a severe thing to do, 
and it seems like someone's life is on the line, but still, on principle, we say no. So what's that? Someone who becomes infatuated with a woman uh, to the extent that he's sick and he looks like he's dying due to his love sickness. And the doctors say the only way to heal this guy is if, if, they're to, if they sleep together. So even if she was not married, so it's seemingly not as bad of a thing to do. And even if it isn't about uh, actually doing the deed, just to talk to each other, and even if it's just talking through a wall, you know, maybe somehow that will help him alleviate his uh, infatuation. Uh, we do not say that he should do that, and we prefer that he die, and we don't tell him to talk. Uh, the reason is that the Jewish girls should not be hafker, shouldn't be free for all, and, and we shouldn't, this shouldn't lead to uh, more serious arrives. So, what does this all mean? What, what are we saying here? So, it could be that possibly, but um, there's no specific yes, sir, as long as it's not uh, real gili arrives. But we decided here that sometimes there are things that are actually so prohibited, but we're not willing to do them to save a person's life, because it's just so, uh, so disgusting. And it seems like there are two details. Hefker means that we're, we're using a Jewish girl in such a way that that itself seems to be uh, disturbing. And then the additional point of Lifritz Baraias, it sounds like that if uh, it's carte blanche, it's, it's, uh, we always allow uh, this kind of stuff, then who knows? Maybe people will start getting, well, we'll start having more instances of sick people who need, they're only, uh, they have a fever, and the only uh, way to fix it is by doing this. They know to begin with that it's not going to help them. Maybe there'll be fewer instances of uh, such people. Perhaps that's what's being implied. And even if there are going to be ultimately one or two that somehow mamish leads to death, but uh, sometimes it's uh, it's worth it to not undermine society. And uh, and also it's, it's not really a normal it's not a normal sickness. You know, someone no no fault of his own got a got a fever. This is uh, being uh, sick here with this person. So let him deal with his problem. Why should other people have to be swept into his uh, sickness? On the other hand, the fact that this is Ein Meirin, we don't say to do it, it implies that it's very likely that they might go ahead and do it on their own anyway. And it sounds like it might not be the end of the world if it ends up happening. And it happens every day that you have strange things, strange situations. As long as we don't put our stamp of approval on it, it seems we can live with it. Or it's not not the end of the world, uh, Mamash. Now we go to more general uh, categories of Kiddush and Chol Hashem. Whoever willingly, without any coercion, transgresses one of the mitzvahs in the Torah, and he does it not because he enjoys it or whatever, it's just uh, his life. He's doing it deliberately. He's doing it. As a, as a statement against God, against Yiddishkeit. So that is desecrating God's name as well. And in fact, you find by this other Avera of swearing falsely, it also uses the term of Chil Hashem. And if you did in front of 10 people, it's Chil Hashem in public, just like before we said, Kiddush Hashem, Kiddush Hashem in public. So it's Chil Hashem, Chil Hashem in public. So, again, so what we're saying, Sha'ad Nafesh, what we mean is there's no normal reason why he's doing it. And perhaps we can, we can say that 
what does a guy do? A guy defines the act. Right? We said be, the guy has the power to define an act as against God. He says, I'm doing this or so this guy in this situation, he created that framework himself. It's like he announced, I'm being mad for myself. I'm doing shmad. So it's no longer the specific Avera. Obviously, lots of people do lots of Averas all the time. That's a problem. But the whole idea of Kishan Kulashim, we said, right, is that it adds an extra framework on top of the Avera. It adds a whole deeper significance to the Avera. So that's what he's doing. He's adding that deeper significance, putting that whole layer of Kishan Kulashim over it on his own. There seems to be a proof in the fact that we see Kishan Kulashim Avera, although Shmuel Shakir happens to be a pretty severe Avera, but okay. And um, continues and says the flip side. And someone who does the opposite, who stays away from an Aver, or does a mitzvah for no reason in the world, not because he's afraid, not for glory, but for Hashem, like Yosef, who uh, prevented, didn't allow his Tifer's uh, wife to have her way with him, that's Kedush uh, Hashem. And again, so that's the, the flip side of Lahaches, of. of Framing it as I'm doing this to start up with God. Here it's the framing is not just though he did a good deed. He framed it as there's an extraordinary something's extraordinary about the fact that this guy went ahead and did what he did. It was not to, it wasn't to be expected. It wasn't what you'd expect. And um, I think from here we can also sort of get gain more insight into the whole idea of Kedush Hashem even under uh, pain of death. It's not just oh you didn't desecrate God's name. But no, just like Lahavdal, a, a giber, a, a hero, someone who doesn't think about himself, and he does a heroic act, he actually gets a name for posterity. Wow, this was a hero, this is a giber. So someone who doesn't think about himself and does for Hashem, he sanctified God's name. So that could either be in a case where there's a gun to his head, and now we're adding that you can actually create that framework without a gun to your head if it's just something extraordinary. And now that I'm goes on to the way Kiddush Hashem and Kiddush Hashem are used in everyday conversation. Oh, make a, chil, make a Kiddush Hashem. Don't make a Kiddush Hashem. That's going to come in here in Halacha Yud Aleph. So the other thing is included under the terminology of Kiddush Hashem. So that's a great person, someone who's known for his Torah, he's famous for his piety. He does things that makes people start talking about him behind his back. Even if they aren't purely uh, that's also desecrating God's name, giving God a bad name. Someone who buys and doesn't pay right away, and he has the money. That means that the, the, the sellers are demanding from him, and he means he owes them. Or he's just hanging out, uh, passing the time, or eating and drinking with Amirat, very, very lowly, simple people uh, next to them or with them. Or he doesn't speak nicely to people, he doesn't greet them for a friendly manner, but he's always getting into fights and getting angry. And things like that, that just give. Him a bad name, and it gives God a bad name. It all depends on how great he is as a Chacham. So then we'll hold him to even higher standards. He has to be careful and do even uh, more than what is expected of a regular person. Uh, and when he says, I just want to say, uh, it's, it's clearly it's got to be a borrowed term compared to what we've been saying until now. And if you don't, uh, if you make a Kiddush Hashem in this manner, we're not adding you to the list of the Harugay Malchus. 
but in, in simple language, means you're creating a bad uh, impression regarding people who follow in Hashem's ways, and that is going to stick to Hashem's name himself. And the same goes for the opposite. And the term makifon means own money, so you have the term hakafa, to buy, but hakafa means to buy on uh, credit. Hakafa ended up meaning credit in general, but uh, from here, it seems that the origin of the term maybe is that uh, it's like dreng, you're dreng someone, you're not, uh, you're not being straight with them, you have the money, and, and yet you're making them come back to you again and again, etc. So now for the opposite, if the Chacham is very careful with himself, and he speaks very nice to the people, and he's just, he's on the same page as them, they, all, they get him, he gets them, and he greets them with a pleasant demeanor, and even if someone insults him, he doesn't feel the need and the urge to respond in kind. And he's respectful to them, even the ones who aren't so respectful to him. And all his business dealings are very honest. And he doesn't hang out. Seems to be in the, 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 doesn't seem to have the, the chavros. He's not the, the companionship of the Ami And where they hang out. That's all he his nice behavior in terms of and also his actual behavior as a he's always seen wearing and everything he's doing is always beyond the letter of the law but on condition I mean that he's not going so extreme that he's acting crazy and the practical test is that what he's, the result of his behavior is that everyone is of praising him and loves him and wishes to be like him. That is sanctifying God's name. Regarding him, the You are my servant, Yisrael, with whom I am proud. So you make Hashem proud. And just when you mention Sittas and Tefillin, this is in reference to the old minig where you wore Tals and Tefillin all day. So that's why he's describing the image of the Tamil Chacham that he's wearing Tals and Tefillin. Uh, so that's the end of the parak. Uh, just to go over time, since we're uh, since we don't have a time limit here per se. If you're interested in hearing the three additional points about the parak that we learned, so I mentioned earlier Tanya parak of Dalit. So it talks about the difference in Bikurach Nefesh between what's the difference between the three and the rest. And it says in Tanya there, even in a very even in the smallest avera, if you do it, you transgress it, you're being over an alien. And you're completely separate from Hashem more than the, the Tumah and the Klippa itself, the Avedazar itself, and all the other Tommy things, animals, Shkatsim, Ramasim, with a small Aveda, you are more separate than everything else. So the way I'm explaining it, spiritually, if you just read the Rambam, you know, maybe uh, if there's a good reason why you're doing the act, maybe it's not an Aveda, but no. It's inherently a Tumah, Klippa, you're separating yourself from God. So why does Pekuach Nefesh push up any Avera? Why should you? That's in the case of uh, you being sick, or in a case you're being threatened. It's uh, not because what you're doing isn't bad, you're doing is horrible. But 
Chacham say that it's worth doing this horrible thing to be able to do many other good things later on. But it cannot be due to the all this and so bad. I'm pointing out that there is no such thing. Not there, as in brackets, Taylor, you should do proof to this. Shabbos, Chomur, Rishko, can have a desire to lean this moment of a rechad. Be a day of sim and base. Mashang, Gomu, Gilead, Ice, of Philohochi, Bikir, Shabbos, Legilad, Ice, for those as a Proof is that Shabbos is also very strict. It's like a very desire when it comes to a mummer with Dover Achad, someone who is like a Meshumid for a certain, for one thing. So, Shkita, could be possible. So, we compare Shabbos to a very desire on your day. Whereas a, a Meshumid for Gilead Ayas doesn't have the same halacha. So in a certain way, Shabbos is more severe like a Reh than Gilead Ayas. And still, the Kalakon Nefesh is Deich Shabbos. Is Shabbos really such a, not such a big deal? And Kalakon Nefesh is not Deich Gilead Ayas. So what's going on here? It says it's Xeris HaKasov. The Torah decided that this is the way it is. And it goes crazy. There's an early letter from the Rebbe to Rabbi Shalom from the Yotav Shindal. The Rebbe actually is Mephalpo a lot. Very, very... Uh, just getting very into the details of the halachas and the, and the svarim to talk about this. Another point uh, regarding eating uh, because of pikuach nefesh. This is a from Tavshin Yedal called Divrei Chayfet with Chedushim B'Yurim on Sugis from the Rav Vizim of Rosenthal, and he got a few ha'aras from the Rebbe on the Sefer like the Rebbe used to do for many authors. And Simon Yud is a kasha of a taz. And Erda Chaim Reish Dalid Shlachanar the Machaber says in Sefchaz that if you eat for medicine and you enjoyed it though, you do make a bracha beginning and end. And then he had the siftas, and it's the same thing if you ate even something that's, that's usher because of the sakana. The first siftas is talking about kosher. Siftas, even if it's usher, if you enjoy it, you make a bracha. Siftas, in the first halacha, the Ramah says that if you ate kosher food because you were forced to, you don't make a bracha even if you enjoyed it because you're nana. So the Taz asked, why doesn't the, the Ramah comment on the next if about someone who ate something usher because of a sakana, even if it wasn't a gun to his head? But uh, he wouldn't have wanted to eat it. So Rosenthal brings the explanation that we offer here in the Ramam itself. Why does the Ramam say that when it's Ba'inas and you didn't listen, the Gimel Chamuras, you did it, uh, then you don't get punished. But if you were sick and you did the Gimel Chamuras, then you do get punished. So he brings the, seemingly the same idea that we said in the name of Shimon Shkop, that even though in both cases your life is at stake, but by Oynes, we can't say it was your act, there's some external pressure, whereas uh, when you're sick, ultimately you did it fully willingly, you had the full choice here. So using that idea, Rosenthal wanted to suggest that uh, the same thing goes for brachas, that when you're eating it because of a sakana, even if it's aser, but you chose to eat it, you willingly ate it, so you make a bracha. But if it's kosher, but it was forced, so then the whole eating is not a real uh, eating. Not got to eat and make a bracha. And he goes on to goes into more details there. And the Rebbe in his letter points out that you should look into Rishonim that the Tzimachzadik brings in his solution to Ksubis that talk about this point and the Salas Panach. And that's all we're going to mention. Really, every detail in this part is huge discussions in Rishonim and And one more detail: we were trying to explain the concept earlier of Kiddush Hashem that you're giving up your life. Uh, you're trying to use some logical terms to explain it, but I should point out there's a whole sikh in the Rebbe called the Sikh, it's called the Chavzayin, Emer Aleph, and the Kitzer, that there's a Shita that actually says that the main point of Kitzer Hashem is that hopefully there'll be a nest. That shouldn't be what you're thinking. You shouldn't be thinking, oh, I'm hoping we're not going to get saved. You should willingly want to give up your life, but the ultimate Kitzer Hashem is if Hashem actually kicks in and, and saves you. And Rebbe says, but that's not the Ram Shita. According to the Rambam, if there's a nest, that's just a separate thing, that's a bonus. That's not what Kitzer Hashem is. Kitzer Hashem is that you should be killed. So it's not that, oh, you uh, you held your own under the, the, the pain of death. 
And then you got to say, if you did that, that's not the, you don't get added to the list of Haruge uh, Malchus. Only if you get killed, then you're a true hero.